Welcome back to Attack of the Drones. Let's continue on with our documentary. If hunter-killer robots are let loose, will we be able to control them? In the 1950s, Isaac Asimov created his laws of robotics. The first law is as follows. A robot may not harm a human being or through inaction allow a human being to come to harm. Number two, a robot must obey orders given it by qualified personnel unless those orders violate rule number one. In other words, a robot can't be ordered to kill a human being. Uh, rule number three, a robot must protect its own existence. After all, it's an expensive piece of equipment. Uh, unless that violates rules one or two. But these laws were fiction. Would they work in the real world? In reality, they're, they're not applicable. Uh, even if you look at some of the military machines of today, a cruise missile, it, it does not obey Asimov's laws. In fact, it breaks them. So when we look to robots, intelligent robots of the future, I don't think we can look to fictional laws to save us. The, the robots will be doing things for themselves, and that certainly won't be stopping because they might injure a human. In other words, throw all the laws you want at it, say what you will, program it however you think it could work, but this is not going to stop these things from being controlled. We are opening up Pandora's box. And if that wasn't creepy enough, they're not only developing artificial intelligent robots as we speak, but a New Zealand AI company called Touchpoint Group is. Listen to this quote. They are building, quote, the angriest robot in the world. Why? In hopes to help companies understand angry customers. <laughs> They even admit it. Quote, it sounds like the beginning of an apocalyptic science fiction film. That's their words, not mine. And then they go on to show a picture of Terminator robots that were used in the Terminator movies, advancing and killing people. So why are you doing this is the obvious point. And if that wasn't crazy enough, the scientists who are familiar with this project are even saying this, quote, if we can create genuine anger as an emotion in robots, Everything in our background tells us that this is dangerous and this is not something that should be placed in a position of power. Can I translate that for you? Stop! Why are you doing this? Okay? And they even admit this in their last quote. They say, quote, if you want to cause harm, then creating the thing that signals dangers to all humans is exactly what you want to avoid. In other words, this is the dumbest thing you could do. And yet, if you're paying attention, this is also why we're also starting to see articles out there now saying stuff like this AI assisted murder or robot cops will be patrolling your streets no seriously these are headlines around the world and that's also why many experts are sounding the alarm now it sounds like the plot of a sci-fi flick but major players in the tech and science industries are warning world leaders an artificial intelligence arms race could be a problem in the future. Tesla CEO Elon Musk, Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak, and renowned physicist Stephen Hawking, among other prominent figures, are warning world leaders of the potential problem as autonomous military weapons continue to grow. In a letter presented at the International Joint Conference on Artificial Intelligence in Buenos Aires, the group says AI technology has reached a point where the deployment of autonomous weapons is practically, if not legally, feasible within years, not decades, and the stakes are high. 
Autonomous weapons have been described as the third revolution in warfare after gunpowder and nuclear arms. The argument, as The Guardian points out, is going to war would be an easier decision if robots are the ones fighting. Musk has warned of this kind of AI takeover before, including this August 2014 tweet reading, We need to be super careful with AI, potentially more dangerous than nukes. The letter asks the United Nations to ban the use of autonomous weapons. Now, how many of you guys even knew half of this AI stuff and AI technology, let alone just how far advanced it really is, let alone it's advanced so far that they're already having world conferences on it, discussing the dangers of it, and the UN actually wants to ban it. Folks, this is what's going on right now as we're sitting here all worried about the economy. And you might be thinking, well, listen, this is just crazy. Just like the experts are warning, I mean, who in the right mind would ever create this technology, let alone unleash it on the planet? It's like letting the genie out of the bottle. It's horrible. Well, that's why they're also working on getting us to accept this reality. They're brainwashing us. They're programming us. And the first way they're doing that is with our emotions. You see, if you've been watching Hollywood lately, then you'll notice how we're already seeing one of their rationales unleashed upon us for accepting this new kind of technology. And that's the human emotional element. You see, when people have to make a decision to kill another person, then it could lead to serious personal disorder, the PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder that we hear about all the time. You know, just like they showed us in the movies American Sniper. Remember that movie? Let's take a look at that. I got a military-aged male uh, on a cell phone watching the convoy over. If you think he's reporting troop movement, you have a green light. Your call, over. Maybe he's just calling his old lady. <laughs> he stepped off. Hold on, I got a woman and a kid 200 yards out moving towards the convoy. aren't swinging she's carrying something yeah she's got a grenade she's got an RKG Russian grenade she's saying to the kid you say a woman and a kid you got eyes on this can you confirm negative your call they fry you if you're wrong you ask a guy to do that I mean talk about the ultimate traumatic experience no wonder these guys are coming back with PTSD how could we ever ask a person to go through such emotional turmoil if only there was some sort of machine that could do it for us then we wouldn't have to go through all this and in fact speaking of machines post-traumatic stress is not only induced when one has to be a sniper with a rifle but also when you have to be a sniper with a drone you know like in the movie good kill Let's take a look at that one. Eyes on the objective. Engage at your discretion. 
Roger that. Target lasered. Three, two, one, right. Good kill. War is now a first-person shooter. Half of you were recruited in malls precisely because you are a bunch of gamers. Any time of day or night, drones are in the sky above whatever forsaken place we're at war with that day. You're cleared off. Light them up. Warheads on foreheads. Missiles off the rail. They don't call it a hellfire for nothing. So what'd you log? 3,000 hours in F-16s, six tours, 200 combat sorties before you got here. Do you want to go back to combat? Are you out of your mind? No, Dad. Is it so bad, what you're doing now? You're still making people safer, right? Rifle when ready. This is the way. What's that? Abort? Negative. Bronya. Don't ask me if it's a just war. That's not up to us. To us, it's just war. I am a pilot, and I'm not flying. I don't know what it is that I am doing, but it's not fine. Words come down the chain, we're stepping up attacks. Because we got intel says they're stepping up attacks. You ever get to flying a war or something? Blew away six Taliban in Pakistan just earlier today. Now I'm going home to barbecue. Every day I feel like a coward taking pot shots at somebody halfway around the world. He's quiet. What happens when he gets angry? He gets more quiet. You just gotta keep compartmentalizing. Never mind, the compartment's got too close. What is it that you miss so bad? Combat? I'm okay! Now, folks, come on, whether, whether it's a sniper on the ground or a sniper in the air with a drone, I mean, come on, uh, listen to Hollywood. H how can we ask anybody to be a part of this emotional trauma? I mean, the horror of it all. And if that emotional tug doesn't get you to seek some external source to fix it all, maybe a personal interview will, like this guy. I remember this specific picture. Yeah, this is what I would be seeing uh, on my screen for the most part. And this was the moment right before we fired. The missile would have fallen right between these people's feet. We see silhouettes, shadows of people, and we kill those shadows. I was a sensor operator with the MQ-1 Bravo Predator drone. You'd control the camera on the, on the aircraft. Uh, you'd also control the laser if you're required to fire the missile. And firing the missile was a two-trigger safety system, so the, the pilot actually couldn't fire the missile without me firing the laser. I flew mostly night shift, close to four years, and during night shift it would be daytime over in Iraq and Afghanistan. You knew that they were human beings. Like, you're, you're watching them live their lives, you're watching them do their thing. Uh, you know, plant a, a, a roadside bomb and then go home and hug their children. 
and you're just being you're being told that they're bad guys. But you were intimately involved in the killing of more than a dozen individuals in Afghanistan and Iraq. Let's talk about one in Afghanistan. It involved a high-value target who you'd been told to watch. He was in a particular building. The decision was taken to strike. Now, as that decision was being taken, you saw what you believed to be a figure come out of that building. Just explain to me what happened. Uh, so this particular shot happened when I was coming on to shift. So all the information that I was given, or we, my crew was given, we were given by the previous crew. Um, so we're told, you're gonna take a shot. This is a building, two men are in it, that's it. So when we fired the shot, um, it was like an L-shaped building, and the person ran from off the screen around into the door, and like, it was a person. Like, I'm not going to say that it was a dog. I was told that it was a dog, but it was a person running from off the screen around and into the building. But could it have been the high-value target? No. It was too small to be a, a, a male adult. What, you suggesting to me it was a child? Yes. I believe it was a child. So you see this on the big close-up on your screen. Do you at that moment have the capacity, the ability within the system to divert the missile which has already been launched? Uh, if there was more time, probably, but there was less than six seconds left on the clock. So what did you do? Maintain target. I, I asked the pilot what that was and he's like, it don't, no, it don't matter. Like, they didn't care. They didn't care at all. There was no sense of compassion or caring or understanding. It was, oh, that's a tragedy. We'll just cover it up. I don't think at the time I was able to think I was so shocked. Um, it, was, it wasn't until I just asked, what was that? And it wasn't until afterwards, I, after the missile hit, I was like, it would just kill a kid. Like, you know, the shock, like, there's no, there's no recoil, there's no anything to say that we've done a shot, it's just, Click, click, click. We, we began this interview talking about that word accountability. I just wonder after an incident like this where, you know, the unexpected happens, the pull trigger signal is given, the missile goes off, and then you, responsible for the cameras, see what you believe to be a child right on target. What sort of post-strike investigation, mm -hmm. accountability is there? None. Really none. I... The only time that people got investigated was if they crashed an aircraft that I know of directly. Uh, though there are incidences, you know, that have been reported where friendlies have been killed or, or civilians have been targeted. But those are, I mean, look at, they're flying thousands of, thousands of missions per month and only how many few have been reported as actually being civilian casualties or and that, and that, the only reason those are reported is because there's unquestioning evidence from outside sources that say we, we did something bad. Mm. And the more information that comes out with the journalists going to these locations and reporting on drone strikes and, and people, local people reporting on the drone strikes, well, we're getting is, bigger This is picture. a point, a very germane point. I mean, the Bureau of Investigative Journalism in the U.S. and other independent bodies have, have assessed that a couple of thousand, at least, civilians across the piece 
may have been killed in drone strikes since the program began and in Pakistan the figure ranges from anything like 400 to 900 depending on how you interpret the statistics. But I'm statistics. pretty sure that no, most people who are in the job don't even know that. But my point is that you're saying actually some of the civilian deaths were deliberately and consciously covered up. But mm -hmm. what proof do you have? My experience, my what I had seen. That's, I didn't take secret information, I didn't take any of this stuff. In fact, when that happened and I told my supervisor at the time, he just said, doesn't matter, just leave it alone. Don't bring it up again or else you'll get in trouble. Now folks, that's not only disturbing, but how can we keep on asking people to do this? In fact, Brandon went on to say that, uh, that the only reason why he stopped being a drone pilot was listen to this, quote, what made him stop was when we were hunting down an American citizen and they were saying that maybe he was the next Bin Laden. This was an American citizen, he said. These were people I swore to protect. And he couldn't take it anymore and he quit. In fact, lest you think this is an isolated occurrence of creating all this emotional trauma from having to make all these kinds of decisions on the battlefield with rivals or drones or, or other technology, think again. The news is also reporting how this PTSD, or post-traumatic stress disorder, is now becoming an epidemic. In fact, lots of pilots are starting to cry out on this issue, as this report shows. President Obama reportedly once told his aides, I'm really good at killing people when speaking of his escalation of drone warfare. But in reality, that job lies in the hands of drone operators and pilots. And according to a recent article originally published at Tom Dispatch, these folks are quitting at record levels. As Secretary for the Air Force Deborah Lee James put it, this is a force that is under significant stress from what is an unrelenting pace of operations. According to a study conducted in 2011 by the School of Aerospace Medicine at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, of the drone pilots they investigated, nearly a half of them had high operational stress. A number also exhibited clinical distress, that is, anxiety, depression, or stress severe enough to affect them in their personal lives. See, the article states that there are about 1,000 drone pilots in the Air Force, and every year about 180 new ones graduate from training programs. However, on average, about 240 pilots quit every year. Basically, the supply of drone pilots can't keep up with the demand of the ever-expanding drone war. Well, gee, you, you wonder why. Look at what they're having to go through. I mean, can you blame them? Talk about trauma. As you can see, we have an epidemic on our hands. If only there was some way, somehow, we could have somebody else do it for them. Uh, even a machine to the rescue them from this horrible trauma. A, a machine that doesn't have feelings. A, a machine that could still get the job done but never get this PTSD. If only, well, funny you should mention that. It just so happens at the same time all this media coverage is being given towards PTSD and is being promoted in the news in Hollywood, there's also people out there saying, we've got the solution for you, uh-huh. And can anybody guess what that solution is? That's right, an artificially intelligent killer robot. It's here to save us all. You send a robot into a hostile environment where decisions have to be made quickly and the algorithm will have to take care of that. The question is, will there be humans in the loop or will they be on the loop or will they be out of the loop? Killer robots are weapons that would make drones look primitive. At least with a drone, there is a human being who 
looks at a computer screen, sees the target, and pushes the buttons to fire the missiles and kill. As we begin to approach the possibility of having machines select and engage targets, we want to be very careful not to cross that line without high-level policy review. As technology races ahead, as we achieve these fantastical advances, what decisions are we going to be comfortable delegating to machines? And what kinds of decisions are we going to insist on reserving for the exercise of human judgment? The U.S. military has stated its intent to use robots on the battlefield, where they can theoretically carry supplies, bring cameras into dangerous places, and yes, even kill. Some experts are calling robotics the new arms race. For that reason, an international group of scientists, professors, and activists, including the Human Rights Watch and the International Committee for Robot Arms Control, are calling for a debate on the questions that inevitably arise with robots that can be used in war. I'm Mark Gubrud, and I'm a member of the International Committee for Robot Arms Control. I'm a physicist by training and I proposed a ban on autonomous weapons as early as 1988. <laughs> we go to war and when we see what's going on, we decide there's a point we don't want to go beyond that point. If you look at the history of the Cold War, there are many incidents where, where people interrupted the chain of events. If you look at the crisis decisions at the highest level that were made uh, you know, during the Cuban Missile Crisis or other major international crises, there's always a point where somebody says, no, don't go, don't take the next step. But if we automate everything, there's not gonna be that human intervention. Somebody always has to do that, otherwise wars will never end. Either you won or you lost, or it's just too much blood and it's not worth it anymore. At some point people say, stop. But if we outsource war, if we outsource the process of conflict, if we make that all a matter of machine decision, then we're not gonna have that, uh, that, that intervention of, of the human heart. Right? This is gonna be, just the program that's running. This is an issue that, well, when I first started talking about it 25 years ago, and people would just kind of stare at me. <laughs> and then uh, 10 years ago, they would just say, oh yeah, Terminator, yeah, hasta la vista, you know, and, and, uh, you know, it was a big joke. Just in the last five years, uh, it, you know, the giggles have stopped. And people are realizing this is serious. In other words, laugh all you want, but this is coming, and coming much faster than what people really believe. This is serious, and that's why we're doing this documentary, folks. But as you can see, the rationale to get people to take that fatal step to remove the human element, this is what they're doing. If we give these killer robots or drones or whatever the ability to think on their own and make these hard decisions for us, including who, what, when, where, why to kill, then it will save we humans so much pain. When in reality, as the experts agree, it's gonna unleash so much pain on the human race you can't even believe. But that's right, just in case the media can't get you with their emotional manipulation techniques to go along with creating this artificially intelligent Skynet scenario, the second way they're programming us to accept this reality is with our entertainment. That's right, who wouldn't love to have their very own artificially intelligent robot or, or companion or friend or helper or whatever, even a toy. And believe it or not, they're already conditioning a whole new generation, a younger generation, to fall in love with artificially intelligent technology via their toys. They're doing just that. And think about it. I mean, what kid doesn't love their toys, right? I mean, we bond with them. We keep them. We store them. They mean so much to us. We, we, we still have some of them uh, growing up. 
Okay, maybe some of you do. But seriously, let's take a look at all these new artificially intelligent toys coming out that every kid just has to have these days to bond with, starting with the new 20Q. Let's take a look at that one. The 20Q obsession is starting again. Whoa, that's awesome. It's reading my mind. No way. How does it know? How does it know? Play 20 questions like never before with the all-new 20Q, each sold separately. Will it read your mind? Hi, this is Mac from SW Randall Toys in Pittsburgh. And today I am reviewing a game that's been around for a few years now, but they're up to version 3.0. This is 20 Questions by Radica. A lot of people know Radica, the company. They've made a lot of electronic games throughout the years. Um, 20 Questions is just really popular. We sell just hundreds of these things every year. Um, they're amazing, and it's a simple concept. All you got to do is think of anything you want. Uh, usually a noun, though. Think of anything. And I'm, I'm not kidding, anything. And this 20 questions game um, is scary accurate. It'll, it'll guess what you are thinking of in 20 questions. Say what? An artificially intelligent toy that can read your mind? And folks, when he said scary accurate, he wasn't kidding either. I actually tried one of these things out with my own kids, and he is totally right. We tried to stump this thing, and it just kept getting the right answer. It was wild. And speaking of wild, believe it or not, the same folks who already brought us the AI technology Watson that we saw competed and won against humans on Jeopardy, these same folks have now created a new toy AI dinosaur for kids. Check this out. This may look like a cute, simple toy, but it's the first toy powered by the formidable IBM Watson. This Dino is the first of the batch called Cognitoys, developed by Elemental Path. Because this toy is run by the brains of Watson, it is extremely smart and intuitive. It can interact with your child, learn their behaviors, talk to them, and ask them educational questions. It can even develop a personality of its own that will grow over time. It is fun to watch the children's reaction to this new friend. Hi, my name is Lily. What is the speed of light? The speed of light is 186,000 miles per second. Can you count to six? One, two, three, four, five, six. Super. <laughs> Tell me a knock-knock joke. Knock-knock. Who's there? Letters. Letters who? Letters him. It is freezing outside. My favorite color is orange. Okay, I'll try to remember. Your favorite color is orange. So you lay the alligator. In a wild crocodile. <laughs> Tell me a story. How about we make a story together? Elemental Path is really ambitious. We want to change the way kids learn by improving the way they play. To do that, we're creating an internet-connected smart toy. It started with the IBM Watson competition and understanding what was the best way to use the platform. We noticed a really big gap in the way toys engage with children. It should go out to you and play, not just respond to you. 
and all the pieces just started kind of coming together. Like, this is what it's going to sound like. This is what it's going to say. We were chasing the product. It, it kind of told us where to go. For us, it's all about keeping children engaged with the technology because that's where the benefit comes from. Smart toys, as the current generation goes, they're not very smart. They'll present your child with information and you hope that something sticks. Cognitoys gives that personalized, customized experience to the child. We're bringing another level to it. We're either really onto something or that we're just absolutely crazy. But the dinosaur is really a companion. It doesn't go away when a parent takes their tablet or smartphone with them. A toy is really for the child. Having a toy that can hold intelligent conversations about the surrounding and also understand a child's personality preferences and then blend in uh, learning exercises. Exactly what makes this so powerful. Cognitoys can actually uh, assess where the child is and give them age-appropriate content based on that child. There's a very different engagement for a child that's four with a Cognitoy uh, than a child that's seven. It's fun. It's not fun. There's not a child that's going to play with it or work with it. And this is fun, where the child can respond back to it as a friend. Eventually, the, uh, the toy will continue to develop this uh, capacity to reason about the, the child's life. And it's constantly evolving, it's constantly iterating. If we find that kids are playing with this toy in a certain way, we can move with them. We have a level and degree of maneuverability that you know classical toys just don't have. We live and breathe the startup life. We move fast. Every single team member really has contributed to make this happen and we've moved rapidly to get to where we are right now. And then we're not going to stop. Our vision really is to get our technology into most toys so that toys are not only affordable uh, and fun, but educational. You have to have a strong team of people. And this group has a strong team and has a vision beyond the initial technology that they have. So we're taking the best of what's available and then plugged Watson into it as far as being the brain and we made something uh, just, just really, really awesome. And we give quantifiable results via the parent panel, so there's no smoke and mirrors. This gives parents access to insights of the communication between the toy and the child, uh, questions the child asks, and also interests, but also a deeper dive into analytics around the child and their learning behavior. So you want to bring these toys with artificial intelligence to monitor kids' behavior and thinking and development and, and be the parent they never had. And then you ultimately want to use the same AI technology for all toys? What kind of a world are we headed for? But I get it. Start off with a dinosaur, because all kids love dinosaurs, and, and get them used to interacting with artificial intelligence from an early age, and then later they'll be more receptive to it, even beyond toys. But that's right, for those of you who need an artificially intelligent toy a little less Jurassic and a whole lot more traditional, they've even got that one as well. Believe it or not, you can now get your own artificially intelligent teddy bear. Move over, Yogi. This new super toy teddy bear is here for you. Watch this. In the Museum of Childhood in London, one stuffed teddy bear proudly stands out from the rest. He's a foot tall and weighs less than a bag of rice. But don't let his size deceive you. Unlike the many teddies in this museum, Supertoy uses artificial intelligence. With one of these and internet, he can read stories, sing songs and even answer your questions. But can he hold a conversation? Well, there is only one way to find out. Put him under pressure myself. Hello, Teddy. How do you work, Teddy? I work 24 hours a day. Oh, do you? What do you do? Ashley, I talk to people on the web. 
He does more than that. To get him talking, you need to download a special app to a mobile phone. This is then plugged into the toy's robotic system and zipped into the back of the toy to control it. The internet is then trawled for an answer and the reply sent back to the bear. All the um, heavy processing, all the work, if you like, is being done over the internet on our brain servers, what we call our brain servers. Who do you think will win next year's World Cup, Teddy? Sorry, I do not get into sports much. Soon he'll be travelling to China where he's due to enter production. Along the way, he'll pick up more than 30 languages and different voices. I have picked up a few phrases from several languages. Do you speak Spanish, Teddy? I'm Pot Grito. With more than $100,000 in funding from the US website Kickstarter, his inventors are ready to take their creation to the next level. The funding has gone absolutely ballistic. Uh, we've passed our target, nearly doubled our target. Um, we, we're now uh, well on our way to full uh, development and production of Supertoy. Teddy, what's the meaning of life? Non-cellular life viruses, cellular life, life is a characteristic that distinguishes objects that have signaling in cells. Isa Suarez, CNN, London. Those that do not either because such functions have ceased death or else because they lack such functions and are classified. Okay, so now a teddy bear can give us the meaning of life, let alone converse with us in a, multiple languages. That's starting to sound like, uh, like an, another Hollywood movie out there called Ted about this teddy bear that came to life and conversed and lived with that guy? Do they know something again we don't? Let's take a look at that movie premise. It has been said that magic vanished from our world a long time ago. But if there's one thing you can be sure of... I wish you could really talk to me. It's that nothing is more powerful than a young boy's wish. You're my best friend, John. But eventually, everyone grows up. I've taken Lori to dinner. You don't think she's going to be expecting something big, do you? It's been four years, Johnny. You and me have been together for 27 years. Where's my ring? Huh? Where's my ring? What are all my fuzzy fingers? Where's my ring? Come on. Knock it off. I'm just saying. That's my bad. I was sending a tweet. John! Hi, Thomas. How are you? If you please ask Ted to move out so we can move on with our lives. I'm not that psyched to just, like, kick him out. Ted, you gotta move out. I'll help you get on your feet out there. I promise. Sometimes I think back to that Christmas morning when I was eight years old. I wish I'd just gotten a Teddy Ruxpin. Gee, I hope it doesn't turn out that violent when the real artificially intelligent bears they're building right now get permeated throughout society. It's real, not just a Hollywood movie. But that's still the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the AI toys they're rolling out right and left all over. The media is now telling us that this is the beginning of a whole new wave of AI toys that's coming real soon. Technology is taking over toys this morning at New York City's annual toy fair. Next to the Lincoln Logs and Tinker Toys are slot cars powered by artificial intelligence. Gigi Stonewoods is at the fair with the high-tech hype. Gigi, good morning. 
Good morning, Charlie. Here at this year's Toy Fair, industry insiders are telling us this is the future of toys. Hybrids that merge traditional physical toys with video games and your smartphone. Toys are a $22 billion a year industry. So it only makes sense that some of the biggest innovators in tech are racing to cash in. Is your goal to disrupt the toy business? Uh, absolutely. I, I think that uh, the toy industry is one of those industries that hasn't evolved nearly as much as it should have over the last few decades. There you go. Boris Softman is the co-founder and CEO of Anki. He developed the company's toy drive and upcoming overdrive. Fellow PhD graduates from Carnegie Mellon's Robotics Institute. When people see the products that we make for the first time, it feels like science fiction to them because it shouldn't exist. Unlike classic slot race cars of another era, Anki cars aren't limited to the skill of the player, since they can think for themselves. They sense the environment 500 times a second. They have 50 megahertz computers inside of them. Uh, they understand where they are. They communicate. When you're playing the game, whichever cars you're not controlling, they actually come to life and they're self-aware and they compete against you. Powered by a sophisticated artificial intelligence technology not typical of a toy, the $150 Drive Starter Kit is America's second best-selling toy, next to dolls from the movie Frozen. So do you guys spend a lot of time playing video games to check out the competition? Yeah, way more than we should. <laughs> Absolutely, we call, it, uh, we call it research. They may be small in scale, but the algorithm behind these cars is similar to Google's self-driving car and the driverless armored vehicles sought by the Defense Department. Your PhD focused on autonomous military vehicles. You could be saving the world. Why choose to focus on toys? For us, toys and entertainment was this really great springboard where we could release a product really quickly, have it be completely in our control, and allow it to be adopted and accepted, and then start jumping to other products. Anki is using the iOS platform to create an entirely new category of experiences. Their vision was so exciting that Apple CEO Tim Cook helped launch the company in 2013. How did you get one of the most powerful companies in the world to back you? It was uh, the biggest honor we could have hoped for. From their point of view, I think uh, we're using their product ecosystem in a way that nobody ever had before. Okay, the smartphone is the new remote control, and toys are now roaming a world without wires. We're always going to have teddy bears, we're always going to have duck duck goose, but we're going to see more and more toys where artificial intelligence, robotics, engineering are added into them because it makes the toys exciting in a new way. Nicholas Thompson is the editor of TheNewYorker.com. Is this the future of play? It is a future of play. I have no doubt that there are going to be a lot more things like this in five years than there were five years ago. Uh, the goal is actually much broader than, than just entertainment. This is a great way to push these technologies forward. We're um, uh, in a process of developing core technologies in robotics, positioning systems, motion control, the wireless communications, interface systems, uh, manufacturing capabilities. Developing big concepts for the future from small toys including how the car of tomorrow might make the one of today obsolete. 25 years from now, we're going to look back and say, uh, it is really bizarre that people used to sit there in the car and wiggle their arms back and forth for an hour and a half a day. Like, who would do that? It's just going to be uh, absolutely the norm for cars to be completely autonomous. Oh, I'm off the road. We asked Boris Softman where he sees the future of robotics going. He says beyond toys and manufacturing, he expects robots to soon help harvest food more efficiently and help elderly people in their homes. Nora? Wow, Gigi, thanks. It's a whole new world. Absolutely. Absolutely, it's a whole new world. Starting with toys, but...
moving on to bigger and better things with AI robots all over the place doing all kinds of things like planting crops or taking care of the elderly. They're, they're going to be everywhere and it's coming fast. And, and by the way, did you see it was the same kind of AI technology that the military is already using? I, I, I wonder if you can tie it all together. But as you can see, we're going to be inundated with these new kind of AI toys and robots and animals, you name it. They're going to be everywhere and everybody's going to love them. So you hope. But what about moms and dads? How are you going to get them to fall for this? I mean, kids are easy with all due respect, but parents are a little bit more sophisticated. Well, that's right, moms and dads, you don't need to be left out in this artificially intelligent utopia they're creating for us. Maybe an artificially intelligent teddy bear or toy isn't for you, but hey, what adult wouldn't love an artificially intelligent robot or gadget, especially if that gadget could bring great convenience and comfort to your home? Well, believe it or not, your wish, once again, is their command. Moms and dads, get ready for Amazon's new AI device called Echo. Let's see what it can do for you. When it first arrived from Amazon, I didn't know what it was. What is it? You'll see. Is it for me? It's for everyone. It's called Amazon Echo. How's it going? Uh, I'm just finishing up right now. Is it on? Oh, it's always on. Can it hear me right now? Uh, nope. It only hears you when you use the wake word we chose. Alexa. Well, what does it do? Alexa, what do you do? I can play music, answer questions, get the news on weather, create to-do lists, and much more. Awesome. Huh. Alexa, play rock music. Rock music. Alexa, stop. Wait, I want to try. Alexa, what time is it? The time is 327. You actually don't have to yell at it, oh. okay? It uses far-field technology, so it can hear you from anywhere in the room. So it can just hear you anywhere? Yes. Well, awesome. everyone can hear you anyway. Oh. Yeah. Is that where we're going to put it? I was thinking of putting it there, but it works anywhere. Echo is pretty neat because it knows all sorts of things. All you have to do is ask. Alexa, how tall is Mount Everest? Mount Everest's height is 29,029 feet, 8,848 meters. How can it know so much? It's so small. It updates using the cloud. That's also how it gets its answers. You just read that off the box, huh? Dad really likes that Echo just plugs in, so we never have to charge it. Plus, Echo's really good at keeping track of things like shopping and to-do lists. Paper. Alexa, add wrapping paper to the shopping list. I've put wrapping paper on your shopping list. Um, Alexa, how many teaspoons are in a tablespoon? One tablespoon equals three teaspoons. Um, okay. Alexa, set a timer for eight minutes. Eight minutes, starting now. Dad's not a morning person, but Echo definitely helps him wake up. Alexa, alarm off. You gotta get up. Mm, it's Saturday. Alexa, what day is it? Today is Thursday, November 13th. Uh, I'm up, I'm up. Alexa, give me my flash news briefing. Here's your flash briefing. From NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. <laughs> what did the dog say after a long day of work? What? Today was rough. Get it? Get it? Yeah, I get it. <laughs> another one. Alexa, tell me another joke. I wondered why the baseball was getting bigger, and then it hit me. <laughs> Sometimes Echo helps out when you least expect uh, it. Uh, hey, Dad, how do you spell cantaloupe? Uh, cantaloupe. C A N T 
T. Alexa, how do you spell cantaloupe? Cantaloupe is spelled C-A-N-T-A-L-O-U-P-E. Good job. Echo loves to play music and knows a lot of songs, and they always sound great. Alexa, play my dance mix. The playlist dance. Alexa, stop. Alexa, define annoying. The term annoying means one, causing irritation or annoyance. Example, my brother. And with the companion app, you can access Echo from anywhere. With everything Echo can do, it's really become part of the family. See? We can all be a part of this artificially intelligent world. Not just kids, but adults. Everyone. It's part of the family, as you saw. But that's right. For those of you who need a little more robotic feel to your AI technology in your home, not just some black tube-looking thing, uh, this next little guy is here to help you out. He's called Jibo. Check this one out. This is your house. This is your car. This is your toothbrush. These are your things. But these are the things that matter. And somewhere in between is this guy. Introducing Jibo, the world's first family robot. Say hi, Jibo. Hi, Jibo. <laughs> Jibo helps everyone out throughout their day. He's the world's best cameraman. By intelligently tracking the action around him, he can independently take video and photos so that you can put down your camera and be a part of the scene. Jibo, take the picture. He's a hands-free helper. You can talk to him, and he'll talk to you back, so you don't have to skip a beat. Excuse me, Anne? Yes, Jibo. Melissa, just sent a reminder that she's picking you up in half an hour to go grocery shopping. Thanks, Jibo. He's an entertainer and educator. Through interactive applications, Jibo can teach. Let me in, or else I'll... Ha! And I'll... Ha! And I'll blow your house in! <laughs> hey, where'd you go? There you are. <laughs> He's the closest thing to a real-life teleportation device. He can turn and look at whoever you want with a simple tap of your finger. Check out my turkey dinner, Mom. I wish you wouldn't eat that. Hey, they make turkey pizza? I want turkey pizza. <laughs> and he's a platform, so his skills keep expanding. He'll be able to connect to your home. Welcome home, Eric. Hey, buddy. Can you order some takeout for me? Sure thing. Chinese, as usual? You know me so well. And even be a great wingman. You have a voice message from Ashley. Want to hear it? Absolutely. Hey, call me when you're home. Better make that takeout for two, Jibo. We've dreamt of it for years, and now he's finally here. And he's not just an aluminum shell. Nor is he just a three-axis motor system. He's not even just a connected device. He's one of the family. Good night, Jibo. Jibo, this little bot of mine. Oh, get it? This little bot of mine? Bring it to your home and it can shine and tell you all things and watch you and monitor you and wow, that's way beyond Amazon's Echo. And by the way, did you notice how they even admitted that we've been prepared for this robotic artificial intelligent invasion? 
and acceptance with movies like Star Wars, Lost in Space, Danger Rule Robinson, and Short Circuit, and The Jetsons, and WALL-E, as you saw. It's almost like somebody's got a plan or something. All to get us corralled into the conclusion that this artificially intelligent stuff is wonderful. It's great. In fact, Google bigwig Ray Kurzweil said this, listen to this, quote, these robot assistants will be able to read 100 million web pages in just a few seconds. Is there anything they can't do? Who's afraid of them, right? Well, that brings us to the third way. They're programming us to accept this AI technology being unleashed on the planet wherever we go, and that is with our movies. Now, we already saw the TED trailer condition us to the AI reality, even with toys. But if you're paying attention to the rest of the movies out there, they're also getting pretty blunt about this new emerging technology. It's not only coming to our society, but it doesn't always work out too well. Starting with Chappie. He, he just wanted to help. Why are you out to get him? Let's take a look at that movie. into this world. A machine that can think and feel. Artificial intelligence is way too unpredictable. You know what's a black sheep? No. It's like when you're different to everyone else. You told us so much more than I could ever imagine. We're gonna make you cool and tough. Don't laugh, I'm being cool. This robot is gonna be removed. He's just a kid. It could be the next step in evolution. I am consciousness. I am alive. I am Jeppy. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you're enjoying our documentary. But uh, before you go, let me ask you a couple questions. Did you know the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? Holy means without sin. God is without sin. The problem is we have sin. We've done some things that are wrong. And the problem with this is the Bible says that the wages of our sin is death. In other words, we, need to, we deserve to die and be separated from God forever in a place called hell. And that's the ultimate question. If you were to die today, would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? Well, unless you deal with the sin issue, the Bible's very clear. We're not going to go up. We're going to go down. And that's what I wanted to share with you today. Uh, God wants to fix this for us. He's made a provision uh, so that we could escape hell and go to heaven through his son, Jesus Christ, but we don't want to admit it. And so out of love, he sent us something called the Ten Commandments. It's his way to give us an x-ray so that we can admit we got a problem 
that we have sin inside that separates us from him. And if we would just admit it and ask for his help, he'll fix it. But let's take a look at his divine x-ray. The Bible says in the Ten Commandments, the Ninth Commandment says, uh, if you will, you think you're good enough to get to heaven, you're holy like God, you're without sin, uh, then prove it to God. Don't ever bear false witness. That's the Ninth Commandment, which means lying. So how many guys have ever told a lie ever once in your life? Well, every single one of you should have raised your hand because we all have. Believe it or not, that disqualifies you right there for heaven. The Bible also says you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. Folks, if we're honest, we've done that too. The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. You shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And now the blessed name of Jesus Christ has become a common cuss word. That's called the sin of blasphemy. The Bible also says you shall not commit adultery. You think you're worthy of getting to heaven? Just march on in there yourself, all by yourself. You don't need God's help? Then don't ever commit adultery. And Jesus said his standards is this. If you ever look at lust with your eye at another person, you've committed adultery in your heart. And finally, the Bible says, you shall not murder. And you might think, well, I haven't done that one. Really? Once again, here's the Bible standard. Jesus said that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, is akin to the sin of murder. You just, if you will, pulled the trigger in your heart. But that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You're going to stand before God one day, and you're going to have to admit who you are. He already knows, but you're going to have to admit, hey, God, let me in. Let me into heaven. I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, murderer, and the Bible is very clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You're not going to heaven. You're going to hell. But here's the good news. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you and I. He took the death penalty in our place. Jesus lived the perfect life in our place, and he took our punishment on the cross so that we could be forgiven and set free. It's called a pardon. God wants to pardon you. But that pardon will do you no good unless you reach out and receive it. Won't you do that today? Won't you do that right now? You don't even know if you have tomorrow. You may not even make it through the rest of this documentary. Don't leave this earth without Jesus being your Lord and Savior. Call upon his name. Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And the Bible says you shall be saved. Well, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries. And again, I hope you're enjoying our documentary. But please make sure that you're headed to heaven today. I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.